in Greek mythology, there's this beautiful little story uh, about a, a labyrinth. And the labyrinth was a maze. You couldn't get out of it. And in the middle of this labyrinth, there was a uh, minotaur. Minotaur, half bull, half man. Every nine years, the, the king of Crete, where this labyrinth was located, he, uh, he would have the Athenians, the, the people there in his town, they all, uh, seven boys and seven girls, they would send them into this labyrinth as a uh, sacrifice. Well, I mean, that went over with the Athenians about like a beer keg at a Baptist picnic, you know. It just didn't fly with them. Uh, every, every nine years, 14 of the youngest kids in this community walked into this labyrinth. They didn't come back out. Uh, there was a prince who said, you know what, I can go in there, and that way our people won't have to, uh, our, won't have to give any kids. I'll go in there and pay tribute. He comes there, and he falls in love, or maybe the, 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 uh, the daughter of the king of Crete falls in love with this man. His, man, his name is, is a thes, the, thesis. The, his name's Tom. Uh, <laughs> falls in love with Tom. Falls head over ancient hills in love with old Tom. And uh, she doesn't want him to go in there because nobody, nobody's ever came out, you know. And so she gives him two very special tools, two very special things. Number one, he gives him a sword, a sword to cut off the head of that minotaur. The most important thing she gave him was a ball of twine. You see, what he did is he tied the beginning of it on the outside of the, the maze, the labyrinth, and went through and slayed the minotaur, came out because he had that thread. He tied it all the way to the very beginning, was able to get out. I want you to hold that thought for a moment. Because I think lots of times our life gets a little bit like that labyrinth. It gets full of relational twists and occupational turns we didn't see coming our way. We zig through bad decisions and we zag through big decisions. And we all encounter our own mother-in-laws. I mean, our own minotaurs. We all encounter our own minotaurs. And sometimes we work with those people. And sometimes uh, they work for us. And we're weaving our way through difficult seasons of life. And sometimes it feels like we're lost. That we're never going to get out of it. That we're just stuck and we're going to be dwelling in this labyrinth. Things will never get any better. Well, this weekend, I, wanna, I want you to know that there is a way out. I want to give you some thread from heaven that's going to help you get out of, of this maze that you think you'll never get out of. So you can go forward. I want to go back to the very beginning. This is where I want to tie our first knot. I want to tie that, that knot here onto Genesis chapter 1. We can't get any earlier than Genesis 1. We're going to tie our first line to Genesis 1. The Bible says this, Then God said, Let us. And by the way, when, when it says, Then God said, Let us, he's not schizophrenic. Um, he's not talking in third person. He's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures and, and move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. He created him male and female. There were only two boxes to check in Genesis chapter 1. Made them male and female, God created them. Each of you, everyone who has ever lived, is made in the image and likeness of God. Anyone who has ever lived drew a breath. Or I will tell you one better. Even if that baby has never drawn a breath, still made in the image of God. The secret to loving people who are different than us, the secret to loving people who rub us the wrong way, is by remembering that every person we meet is made in that image and in the likeness of God. 
regardless of how ornery or mean they are or how awesome they are, everyone we meet is in the image of God. Whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they are conservative or liberal, whether they are gay, whether they are straight, whether they are transgender, they are all made, we are all made in the image of God. And outside of the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, I believe that our neighbors are the most holiest objects that come into our presence because they are in the image, the likeness of an almighty God. I want us to stay in Genesis chapter 1. I just want to skip to the very next verse, verse 28. Now I want you to see this. When we think of Genesis, we usually think about the fall. We usually think about sin. We usually think about a snake and an apple. We usually think about what's called original sin, the fall of humanity. But before the fall of humanity happened, we see Genesis 1.28. We all know about original sin. That's the sin we're born with. It comes from Adam. But did you know something about called the original blessing? We were blessed before the curse. Preach. Where do you get that? Thanks for asking. Genesis 1.28. God, what did He do to him? He made him, and the first thing He did is He blessed him. God blessed him and said, Y'all be fruitful and increase in number. That's the only commandment that man has been faithful with. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When we think of Genesis, we always think of the original sin. But I want to introduce you today to the original blessing. And if we miss the significance of the sequence... If we miss the significance of the sequence, original blessing and then original sin, what happens is we get a clouded view of who God is. And even, even uh, next step is this. Not only do we have a clouded view of who God is when we don't understand the original blessing, but we also have a different view of the person we see in the mirror looking back at us. The way we look at ourselves, the way we, we, we look at our lives. You see, church... Today we're going to start a three-part series called Blessing Squared. We're going to talk about double blessing. In order to get it, you've got to give it. We're going to rediscover something, a teaching by Pastor Mark Batterson. And what we're going to see is that God's heart towards us is blessing. Blessing is God's most ancient instinct. Blessing is God's default setting. Uh, when Miss when Pam and I first got married, I don't know what was wrong with this woman, but she thought it was funny to jump out and scare me. <laughs> She'd jump out of the closet. When I was coming, she'd get up out of bed, Miss Schaefer. I'd be going to the bathroom. That fool would get up out of bed, hide in the closet, and scare me on the way out until she found out what my basic instinct was. Pop! <laughs> Don't scare the fat man, all right? He's going to hit. So she has not done that in about 28 years because that's the one and only time I laid a hand on her, but she brought it on herself, all right? No. Well, my, my instinct when I get scared is, you know, that's what I do, and some of y'all might do that. But y'all, God's, God's, God's reflex for us is blessing. God's basic instinct for us is that He wants to bless us. God wants to bless you beyond what your bucket can hold. Now you tell that to somebody who was uh, abused by their daddy growing up. They have a hard time believing that God wants to bless them more than their bucket can hold. You tell that to a man whose mother beat him on the rig that God has more blessing for him than what his bucket can hold. You tell somebody who's went through that that God wants to bless them. They may have a hard time grasping that 
truth. They may have a hard time believing that truth. But in this series, you're going to see how that, that, that wrong thinking can be broken. How it can be reprogrammed and how we can change the algorithm when we understand the idea of original blessing. Y'all, we've been hit with some... Uh, fatalistic original sin doctrine since the 4th century. We've been told how bad we are and how we deserve hell, and we do. We've been told how depraved we are, and we are. We've been told that, but in, and it's overshadowed Genesis 1.28, the original blessing. The original blessing took place before original sin. Now, I don't doubt original sin. I'm going to tell you why I don't doubt original sin. I've had kids. I know they come out sinners. I don't have to teach them to be honoring. It comes natural. And if you have kids, you better believe in the original sin because you know how they act. We didn't have to teach them to lie. We didn't have to teach them to... to, to, uh, to uh, we didn't have to teach them to, to take things that didn't belong to them. Man, they just came to them. That's the original sin that gets passed down. Church, original sin is real, but so is original blessing. And we're, go we're going to uh, crack that nut, if you will, uh, because we've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. We all know about original sin. Let's look at blessing as a primary. So uh, what's the big deal about original blessing? Because our view of God will go back to our earliest collective memory of what God did for us. Before our family was kicked out of the garden, before our family was, was kicked out of Eden, God blessed us. Before that, all the other stuff happened, God gave us a blessing. There was a man by the name of Dr. Alfred Adler. He was one of the world's most famous psychiatrists. Uh, you would come into his office and every one of his patients, no matter what they were there for, uh, Adler would ask them, well, what's your earliest memory? That sounds very psychiatrist-like. What's your earliest memory? And no matter what they said, whether it was a background of abuse or whether it was from background of love, he would always ask them what their earliest memory was, and he'd say, so is your life. What he was basically saying is, your original memory was what the platform of your life operated from, whether it was good or bad. And Adler said, to change that, it's so hard, it's so difficult, it's almost insoluble, it's almost impossible, you can't outrun your earliest memory. Now, if we would ask Adam, hey, Adam, what's your earliest memory? We would think, well, it's probably walking around the garden, taking a stroll with God in the cool of the day, naming all the animals. Man, I, I was running out of names when I saw the platypus, so I, that was the best I could do. He was thinking about all those things. Uh, but you know, even before all that stuff, the first thing that Adam would say, I believe his first memory was, was Genesis chapter 128. What's your earliest memory, Adam? When God blessed me. When my Creator, Father God, blessed me. Y'all, sin comes along and messes everything up, but there's two things sin does not mess up, and I'm going to prove that to you today. Sin does not mess up the fact that you are made in the image of God. Preacher, prove that to me. Raise your hand if you are a sinner. By the way, the Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. All right, you can put them down. Now raise your hand if you are made in the image of God. You are a sinner who was made in the image of God. Sin didn't change that fact. Hey, you know what? Lost people are made in the image of God. Your Weinsteins are made in the image of God. Your Epsteins are made in the image of God. Your Fogersons are made in the image of God. Your Turners are made in the image of God. We are all in that image of God regardless of where we come from. That is the fact. And the second thing is this. We are blessed by God Himself. Every single one of us, all of us collectively are blessed by God. Blessing is the earliest memory and that's why our greatest longing as people is wanting to be blessed. What do we want more than anything? We want to be blessed. 
What does that look like? It means to be celebrated for who we are, accepted for who, uh, accepted for for who we are, who we're not, uh, not for who we're not. We're loved with no strings attached. That's blessing. Church, you are loved by God. Not because of what you have done or not because of what you have not done. You are loved because of who you are. You are loved because of who made you. You are loved because of whose you belong to. You are the image of the Almighty God. You are His workmanship. You are the apple of His eye. You are the best thing He's ever done. If these things are true, if we are made in His image and we are blessed by God, why do so many of us feel inadequate? If we're made in the image of God and, 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 and we're blessed by God, why do so many of us feel like we're not enough? Why do so many of us feel that we're unworthy if this is true? It's because of this. I believe that we are either missing or we have misunderstood what our Father's blessing is. I believe it's because we've misunderstood and we've never thought about what the blessing actually means in our life to us and for us. And it's as old as the Bible itself. In fact, in the book of Genesis, there are two brothers, one father and one blessing. The two brothers are named Jacob and Esau. Their daddy's name is Isaac. The two brothers are born, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest and the, breast, the blessing belonged to him and the blessing should have settled onto him. But Jacob knew the power of the blessing. Jacob knew the significance of the blessing. And instead of it going to Esau, he snuck in and stole Isaac's blessing from his nearly blind father and stole Esau's blessing. Now, that was a big deal. Just go ahead and bless the other one when he comes in. Listen to what the Bible says. Esau came in. Esau said to his daddy, Daddy, I know what you just did to Jacob. That dude just stole my blessing. Dad, do you only have one blessing to give? Pop, can't you give me another blessing? Bless me. My father, bless me too, Daddy. Then Esau did what? How many of us would have, would have done that? Because we probably wouldn't because we don't get what's going on. Esau knew the power of the blessing. I suspect some of us today grew up and we never had the blessing of a father who said, son or daughter, I love you no matter what. I got a feeling that some of us may have grown up in a home instead of a loving mother's hand. We got the backside of it out of anger. And it's hard for us to, to realize what it means to have a, a mother's love or a father's pride on our life. So there's this emptiness in our life that we're longing for blessing. We're longing for that connection to our father. We're longing for that love. And what's one of the possible outcomes of a blessing is these things are received. Genesis 27 verse 41. This is, this is crazy. This is how Esau felt about Jacob stealing that blessing. What did he say? Esau did what? Over a blessing? Esau hated Jacob over a blessing? Yeah, because Esau understood the significance and the power of the blessing. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. But Jacob, as soon as this funeral's over, I'm going to come get you, sucker. That's what the text is saying. I'm going to come get you. Then Esau, then, I, then will I slay my brother Jacob. So many of our emotional issues come from places of woundedness. Esau was wounded because he didn't get his blessing. And that made him bitter. It made him violent. It made him angry. It made him hate his brother. And church, when we don't understand what the blessing of God means to us and for us, we get bitter and angry too. We lash out. You know, it's difficult to explain God's blessing because it's tangible and intangible at the same time. It's timely and timeless all at the same time. Uh, it's like trying to smell the color nine. You ever smelt the color nine? 
That's what it's like trying to explain what God's blessing is. Because it's so much at the same time. We understand the blessing in a sunrise. We understand the blessing when we see a beautiful sunset. But now if I ask you to tell me about the blessing of suffering, that's a little bit more hard. That's a little bit more difficult. Tell me about the blessing of brokenness. Tell me about the blessing of illness. Tell me about the blessing of loneliness. Tell me about the blessing of struggle. Those things we have a hard time understanding. But church, even the blessing of suffering is still a blessing. We don't understand the full concept of what a blessing is. We understand the blessing in a sunrise, but we have a hard time understanding blessing of brokenness or abuse or abandonment or addiction. We have a hard time understanding blessing while we're in relapse or an attorney's office or chemotherapy or radiation therapy. We have a hard time understanding what blessing is in a funeral. The original blessing of God is the solution to the biggest problems in our life. They are the answer to our most boldest prayers and our wildest dreams. The blessing is where we're going to tap in. That's where we're going to tie our knot. Because God loves us. He's made us, in him as it. He's made us in His image. God loves you uniquely. He loves you personally. And God has a, ple- a blessing that is unique to you. That's all yours. That's all yours alone. 10,000 blessings yours. And all that besides. He has blessings that are just for you. Tim, uh, Tim Hathaway's blessings are different than Mike Fogerson's blessing. Pam Fogerson's blessing might be different than Chris's blessing. Church, God loves us all, and He has special, unique blessings for all of us. Let me help you understand this. Miss Pam and I do not have a choice. We, we cannot not love our kids, and neither can you. If you're a mom or a dad or whatever, you cannot not love your kids. Is there anything your kids could do that would make you stop loving them? doesn't matter what day of the week it is. doesn't matter what they've accomplished or what they failed to do. No. As a parent, you cannot not love your kids. We love them. There's nothing that can change that because that's our default setting for our kids. Our love as moms and dads, we can understand. What we can understand is this. The love that we have for our kids can't hold the candle to the love that God has for us, His babies. The love that we have for our kids doesn't even get in the same race as God's love. For you and me. Preacher, you've got to show that to me in the Bible. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that nothing ever can separate us from His love. Death can't. Life can't. Angels won't. And all the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I believe that. There's literally nothing that will make God stop loving us. God cannot not love us. In the letter to the Corinthians, Paul said this, There are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? What he's saying is everything flows out of love. Your hope flows out of love. Your faith flows out of love. Love is first base, man. Love is where it all starts. In other words, love is the default setting. It is the fallback position. When the power goes off and you push the red button on the DVR, love is the first channel that comes up. We can't not love our kids. Even more, God cannot not love us. We're going to double back to the beginning and we're going to tie one end of our thread to the original blessing. And as we start building this series on blessing squared, we've got to unearth why it's so important that we understand the original blessing so we can live it and so we can give it. And by the way, you're saying, preacher, just now getting through the invitation, the introduction. Yeah, but like I've got three pages left. All right? 
I'm laying the groundwork for where we're going for the next two weeks, all right? So uh, I'm going to give it to you all. It's only 11.15. Um, unless we take up an offering, I I I'll stop if the price is right. No. I'm lying. It's a joke. Please lighten up. Let's talk, let's talk about blessings. I'm going to tell you what blessings, what a blessing is and what it is not. Number one, blessing is not good luck. As we're looking at blessing squared and blessing to, to give it, you got to give it. Blessing is not good luck. Blessing is not a lucky rabbit's foot. Ask a rabbit if a rabbit foot is lucky. They'll tell you no. It's not a four-leaf four clover. It's not a buckeye in your pocket. It's not, a, it's not a coin. That's not what blessing is. Blessing isn't winning the lottery. However, if you want it, make sure you tithe. You know, some of the most miserable people I know have money. Some of the happiest people I know are so poor they're broke. Don't have enough money to pay attention. It's like Biggie Small said, more money, more problems. If you think that God putting you in a higher tax bracket is the definition of a blessing, then you're not getting what a blessing is. Blessing is not good luck. Blessing is not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not good luck and it's not health, wealth, and prosperity. If you think God putting you in that higher tax bracket is the definition of blessing, you're not getting it. God blesses us not... I'm sorry, I didn't want to hit that. Uh, God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. When He blesses us, it's always to raise our standard of giving. Now these things can be byproducts, but I don't want you to take that that's the blessing. Hey, you can, be, you can be dirt poor and be blessed. Whether your blessed sticker is on an Escalade or a Pinto, that doesn't determine whether you're blessed or not. Blessing is not zero gravity. When I say blessing is not zero gravity, I mean this. Blessing is not no problems. Blessing doesn't just mean that everything in your life is the way it should be. In fact, what if I told you that it's impossible not to have any problems? Before I read the text to you, y'all, the only people in this town that don't have any problems today are laid out in Evergreen Cemetery. They don't got to worry about lunch. They don't got to worry about laundry. They don't got to worry about paying bills. I've never seen the mailman roll through that thing. Listen to what the Bible says. And by the way, these words are in red in my Bible. So that means Jesus said them. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because I promise you this. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Cousin, are there any truer words in the scriptures? In this world, I guarantee you, Jesus is saying, you will have trouble. Man, if that isn't right, if that's not accurate, whether you're saved or lost, you're going to have problems. The difference is, cousin, if you're lost, your problems have just started when you die. For the Christian, <laughs> things are looking up. That sounds good. I like that. That's whoo, ready to go today. Carl Jung said this. He said, all the greatest and most important problems of life are fundamentally insoluble. They cannot be solved. All they can be is outgrown. I want you to think about the biggest problems you've struggled with, Angie, Kelly. You didn't probably figure out those. You didn't figure out those problems. You just got bigger than them. You got older than them. You got further down the road. 
Church, your blessing, the problems in your life, uh, don't mean, it doesn't mean that you're not blessed. Blessing is not the absence of problems. What if the thorn in the flesh we're begging God to remove is something God is using to change us? What if the diagnosis that God has allowed to come into our life is something that God is using to make us better? He's using it to change us. We've all heard of the blessing in disguise. The reason why it's a blessing in disguise is because that thing that we're going through is a catalyst for spiritual growth, emotional growth, relational growth. And when we ask God to remove these things, and that, ask Him, ask Him away. But I want you to understand something. If they choose, if God chooses to lead them in our life, I'm sure He's got a good, good, good reason for it. He's shaking us. He's growing us. Sometimes, and here's a, sometimes we just got to hit bottom before we can bounce up. You know what I'm saying? Man, just sometimes we've got to hit the bottom before we bounce up. And there's no way to bounce up without hitting the bottom. The blessing of God will complicate your life. That's the last thing. The blessing of God will complicate your life. Preach, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't mean that blessings will complicate your life the way sin complicates our lives. Sin complicates our lives in a way that our lives should not be complicated. Blessing will complicate in our life in a way that it should be complicated. Preach, I don't understand what you're saying. What does that mean? In the New Testament, Jesus gives a story about a master who's going away and he has three servants. He gives one ten, one five, and one one. One ten dollars, one five dollars, one one dollar. He says, boys, I'm going to come back and we'll see how y'all did. Well, the one with ten, uh, ten goes and makes twenty. Comes back and the, ma the master comes back and says, dude, good job, man. That's awesome. That's a great return. Uh, the other dude who had five came back. Now he had ten. Said, man, awesome. Good job for you. I'm going to give you more work to do. Good. And the one who had one, he came in and said, man, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were going to be upset if I would have lost money. So here it is, man. Here's what you gave me. Here's it back. He said, dude, what's wrong with you? Get out of here. You don't even work for, anymore. You don't work for me anymore. Go out to the outer darkness with the, with the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Read the text. That's what it says. So what that tells me is this. If I'm obedient, if you're obedient with God, and you use what God has given you. You use what God has given you for His kingdom, what He's placed within you, and you've used it to the best of your ability. You've been obedient with it. You're, you're doing what you're going to do. God doesn't say, oh, you've been so awesome. Just take a seat. Oh, you've been super great. Now just, just rest. No, this is how blessing complicates your life. God gives you a blessing. You turn around and use a blessing. You know what God will do more? He'll say, oh, I've got more for you to do. You want to know why 80% of the people... I'm sorry, you want to know why 20% of the people do 80% of the work at the church? Because those people understand blessing. And the more they do, the more they're blessed. Preacher, are you saying the more I do for God, the happier I am? Yeah, I am. I am exactly saying that. I'm not saying God won't love you if you don't do anything, but I'm going to tell you what, my wife and I will not get along if I don't do things for her. And why do I do things for her? Because I love her. Why do I do things for my father? Dude, I love him. And the more blessing we move in and we operate in, the more God will require of us. We get more work. That means maybe you need to date, maybe you need to plug into pray and go. Maybe you need to get into a connect group. Now here's the thing, it will complicate your life. For those of you who work in the kitchen on Wednesday night, your Wednesday night is complicated. For those of you who come to connect group on Wednesday night, your Wednesday night is complicated. For those of you who give your tithe, your bank book is going to be complicated. But this is what I do know. If you don't tithe, what would happen if God gave you your salary that you give in your 
your tithe? What if the $20 you gave, what if that reflected the salary God allowed to come into your home? Preacher, what's that mean? If you give $20 a week, that means that you make $200 a week. And all the people said, absolutely nothing. You get what I'm saying? You start falling in the blessing of God, your life will get complicated. It'll mess some things up. These complications are how we grow. Those complications are how we mature. Those complications are how we develop. Those complications are the byproduct of blessing. But here's the thing. If you're giving and you're discipling and you're trying to grow spiritually, you won't go back because you know the blessing that's found in it. Blessing is joy unspeakable. Blessing is a peace that passes all understanding. Blessings are things you can't put a price tag on. It's like knowing your past mistakes do not define you. It means that you have been forgiven and your sins have been forgotten. Blessing is knowing not what your future holds, but blessing is knowing who holds your future. It's a fact that God is preparing a good work for you in advance before your tomorrow gets here. Let me jump the gun. I'm just going to tell you what a blessing is. Blessing is what happens when you're in a right relationship with God and you know that you're made in the image of God. It's God with us. It's God for us. It's God in us. Blessing is not good luck. Blessing is not health, wealth, and prosperity. Blessing is not zero gravity. No problems. Blessing will complicate your life. Ms. Schaefer, if I could ask you to come up, honey, and just begin to play very quietly and very reverently, please. At the end of the earthly life of Jesus, he celebrates a meal with his disciples called the Passover meal. It was a celebration, the Passover meal, of Israel's exodus from from Egypt. It was a sacred celebration. It was an annual holiday. But when Jesus did the Last Supper, there was a plot twist. Jesus redefined what the Passover meal meant When he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. Then he said to his disciples, This bread, well this is my body. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Now, the disciples would not have understood what that meal meant until 24 hours later. They wouldn't understand the significance of the meal until 24 hours later. You see, that same night, Jesus was betrayed by one of His disciples. Do you remember how many pieces of silver that Judas sold Jesus out for? Did anybody remember? 30 pieces of silver. They would have been shekels. Temple shekels because He was paid off by the high priest. Now, this is a tough calculation, but this is going to be pretty accurate. Today, the amount of gold that's found in a shekel is about... 72 cents worth of gold. Uh, I'm sorry, 72 cents worth of silver in a shekel. You do the math on that. Judas sold out Jesus for $21.60. That's the value Judas put on Jesus' life, $21.60. What kind of value you put on it? Now I can tell you specifically and precisely how much value Judas put on Jesus' life, but I can also tell you how much value Jesus put on Judas' life. That's the value Jesus saw of Judas. That's the price he was willing to pay for Judas. Even Judas preached. 
Even the guy who sold him out for twenty-one sixty, Even the man who sold him up the river for $21.60. I can't even feed my family at Subway for $21. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Jesus saw the value in Judas because you remember whose image and likeness that Judas was made in? God's. That's the value that Jesus put on even Judas. Church, that's also the value that He places on you and me. And even if we sell Him out for twenty-one sixty, and listen to me, some of us don't even sell Him out for that much. For some of us, we'll sell Him out for taking a personal day on Sunday. Preach, hurry up and get out of here. You're meddling now. For some of us, well, I'm not going to give up Wednesday night. We're too busy. I'm not going to connect group. Well, then that's less than $21.60. I'm not going to get and pray and go. Well, if you can walk and pray, you're qualified. It's going to complicate your... Y'all understand what I'm saying? What do you sell Him out for? The cross is where the curse of sin is broken. The cross is where every blessing is bestowed. And what we're going to do with the other end of our string, we've tied the first string to Genesis 1.28. We're going to tie that second string to the cup of blessing and communion. In fact, I want you to understand something. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. This is what the Apostle Paul called the cup of communion. He said, is not the cup of what? Blessing. The cup of blessing. Isn't the cup of blessing which we bless us sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread in which we break sharing in the body of Jesus? The cup is a cup of blessing. Church, if one end of our thread is tied to the original blessing, the other one's got to be wrapped around the communion cup, God's presence inside us. Church, today, why don't you tie the knot? As we start on this three-week journey of, of blessing squared, tie the knot today. You are the reason Jesus went to the cross. And if it would have only been you, Anna, Jesus would have went to the cross for only you. Bev, you're the reason Jesus went to the cross. And if it would have only been Bev, He would have went to the cross. Communion reminds us of that fact. That you are a blessing created in the very image of the Almighty God. And so is that co-worker that you're fairly sure needs to have his medication regulated better. That dude is also made in the image of God. And that person who hurts you so much that you can't even speak of the abuse. That person too is made in the image of God. Church, loving a difficult person is hard. Love them anyway. Why? Because I'm going to tell you why. Because somebody loved you too. Somebody loved you too. We just can't give up on somebody because the situation isn't ideal. We can't just give up on somebody. You see, great relationships aren't great because they don't have problems. Great relationships aren't great because they're free of stress. Great relationships are great because both people care enough about the other person to find a way to make it work. Make your relationship with God work. I'm going to tell you what, God's already doing the work for. Do your work. He's doing His work, do your work. And what I found is the people who are the most difficult to love are usually the people who need to love the most. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Do you need prayer today? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you need prayer this morning? Do you need strength to forgive someone in your life today? 
Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a hex, an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Maybe it's your daddy. Maybe it's your mama. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know their name, but you know the, the actions and the abuse and the hurt they've given you. Oh, my friend, let's tie our string to the blessing to the bread and the cup today. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the likeness of God. And so are the people in your life. The people you struggle to like. The people you struggle to love. In your own strength. There's hope. Today would you forgive them? Today would you let them go? Maybe today you need to say, God, forgive me because I've not understood the power of the original blessing. All I've focused in is on judgment. All I've focused in on is banishment. All I've focused on is separation. I forgot all about it. Didn't even know about the original blessing. But Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm a, that should be my earliest memory. So this morning, if you need to help to forgive somebody or maybe forgive yourself, or just say, make... Preach, make your prayer about me. I I just want to grasp this double blessing thing because I want it. If it sounds that good, I want it in my life. Heavenly Father, I pray for those people here in this room today who need to forgive someone. Or they're having a hard time liking somebody. Father, remind us that they are made in the image of God. They are made in your likeness, Almighty God. And because of that, we need to see you in them. Because you value that person. You value that person enough to die for them on Calvary. Let us see them the way you do. Lord God, I pray that we would also see that we are a value to you as well. The value, Lord God, is cross. The value was Calvary. Father, let us live in that blessing that flows from Calvary's tree. Father, I pray a blessing over the cup and the bread that we're about to take. Father God, I pray that we would receive healing. We would be reminded of the forgiveness that we find in the blood of your son, Jesus. Now, friend, as every head is bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to share with you very quickly the gospel. And today, maybe you've not ever given your life to Jesus, and maybe today is the day you need to reaffirm your faith in him. You need to know without Jesus, you're going to die and bust hell wide open. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You don't get there through a church. You don't get there through a baptism. You don't get there through a communion. You don't get there through being good. You get there through a person. His name is Jesus. None of us are good enough to get to heaven. But through Jesus, we are. Only by His blood are we. So I encourage you to pray with me this morning. If you want to receive your salvation, just prayer salvation or reaffirm your faith in him. I encourage you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I know that you are the son of God. and You died on Calvary in my place. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for making me in your image and for blessing me with your love, with forgiveness of sin. And with salvation. I receive it today by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. I'll give you a moment to take off the top film of your communion cup. 
there's two folds. There's one that'll release the bread and one that will release the juice. The Bible says it was on the night he betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this bread is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The Bible says by his stripes we're healed. And we apply those stripes over those relationships that need forgiveness, those relationships that need reconciliation. We apply those stripes over those relationships that are broken. After supper, he took the cup of blessing and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, we will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. Hope the next time we take that, we'll be sitting around the Lamb's marriage feast of the Lamb together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hallelujah. You know, when the Jews have Passover, they say next year in Jerusalem. And uh, every time I take communion, I'm always reminded of that. Man, what the next time I take communion, I'm sent by my mom. Next time I take communion, well, if I'm by my babies, it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah. You know, I'm, as the older I get, I'm, I'm convinced that there are better things than living and worse things than dying. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. What we're going to do is I'm going to lead, the, I'm, going to, I'm going to bless you with a priestly blessing. And then what I would, I would like to do today is I would like for us to kind of leave the sanctuary quietly. As we, as we sing, blessed be the tie. Yeah. And the reason we do that is in the book of Matthew, the Bible says that after the disciples had went through the Lord's Supper, they left singing a hymn. They went out to the garden, Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John. And so that's where we get that from. We're just going to kind of carry that New Testament tradition through the rest of the service. When you get out of the building, you're more than welcome to talk and things like that. But just help us maintain the reverence of this part of the service. So when we gather our things together, do so quietly. When we exit, do so quietly. And this will get out in the parking lot. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my friends and my family at this church. I love them, Lord God. I love them. We're family. Thank you, Father, for making us in your image. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Even before sin, even before sin reared its ugly head, the blessing was already in play. And there's nothing the enemy can do that can stop your blessing. We thank you, Father God, for the blessing. Help us live in it. Help us understand it. Lord God, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. That your face would shine upon us and be gracious to them. That you would lift your countenance upon them and give them your peace. And I ask this in the name of Yahshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And amen. The time that